This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Downfall of Gaia will release their new album, Ethic of Radical Finitude, via Metal Blade Records. Ethic of Radical Finitude is the quartet's most melodic, structured, and dynamic release to date, and once more builds upon the epic and unique sludgy, crusty, exploratory metallic sound that has organically evolved with every release. Purchase your copy now at metalblade.com slash downfall of Gaia. Once again, Ethic of Radical Finitude, guys. Make sure you pick it up. Metalblade.com slash downfall of Gaia. 2006 was an amazing year. Top Chef inspired us in the kitchen. Look at me chopping. Big Mama's House Part 2 pushed the boundaries of American cinema. That movie really opened my eyes. And the world rejoiced when Tool bestowed upon mankind its fourth or fifth best album, 10,000 Days. I can't stop coming! 2019, 13 years later. Hey guys, have you heard the new Tool record? What are you talking about, man? They haven't released a record in like 13 years. Is there anyone left you can trust? One minute Danny Carey says it'll be out in April, and then Maynard says midsummer. I don't know who to believe anymore! How far are you willing to go? Get down! For the truth. I thought I had it right in my hands. But it turned out to be a new Pussifer record. You brought a Pussifer album into this home. Get out of my face. Go get 10,000 weights. How much longer? There's no way it's that good. Testing your patience this spring. Maybe. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What is going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Speich. I am always joined by Brandon Gooch Hahn, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at your buddy Gooch. And Jocelyn Sharp. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Jocelyn Sharp. And guys, you can find me at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter, Rise to Offend Official on Instagram. <laughs> I forgot what it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, the other one? Did you I have did, a yeah. stroke? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I felt like I did. I like saw Pete's eyes do the rainbow where it's like he went from like right to left, like just a big arch. Like, what the fuck was that word? I've been up since oh, midnight. Yeah. You're going to get some of those. Okay. You're going to get some of those. I can feel like the slowness in my brain. This week, guys, we got Todd Latore from Queensryche. We are here to talk about their new record, The Verdict, which is coming out March 1st, 2019. But before we get to that interview, guys, let's talk a little bit about the Metal Sucks news. As you heard our opening bits, we all kind of made a, I want to say, we believed the album was coming out in April, the new Tool record yeah, I is believe, what we're talking yeah. about. Um, we literally said that we last episode. We literally said that last week. <laughs> but the other thing that we, we catered that with was like, oh, because Maynard didn't say anything. Yes. Yeah. Maynard said something this week. So yeah. it's not coming yeah. out in April. <laughs> He's saying it's coming out in midsummer or July. Okay, but hey. Did a good time frame, like a really good time frame. That's better i mean that's the most commitment we've gotten from maynard all i'm saying is there is, i like we said in the bit there's no way it's gonna be that good like there's just no way i think it's gonna be a good record because it's, they're it's good either gonna blow our minds it's either gonna it's, it's everyone's I gonna like it their your ears are gonna bleed and your eyeballs are gonna pop out or we're all gonna be like fuck this you're right i think it will be really good because the style of music that tool makes isn't i don't think anybody makes it like that. right not no, anymore so, no. so so it's gonna be something it's gonna sound fresh and new to a lot of 
probably to us and other people. So I think it's going to be really good. I, I trust in them. I just don't feel Maynard as a vocalist tests himself into the other projects, like the last Perfect Circle record where he didn't really sing a lot. That's what I fear. Was- I think the band's going to be so tight on this record, but I feel Tool so much relies on those elements of Maynard just bringing you in and like hitting you with the goosebumps. Yeah, bringing it voice. alive, man. I, I fear that it's not going to be as prevalent. That's you, my fear. You, you might be right because, it, but it's, it's like Pussifer, like you were talking about. Like you know, you hear Maynard, you, you hear Maynard, and your first thought is like, I wish he would do something better. You know, <laughs> but it's like, but the, <laughs> you listen <laughs> vocally, he is very poetic. Yes, he doesn't. He, but on Tool records, we're so used to that build up, and then his voice just shredding us. Mm-hmm. You know, in like a seven to eight minute song, or even a six minute song. The point is. That's not his other projects necessarily. It always you know? seems like a perfect circle, and it, a perfect circle, and especially Pussifer, it just seems like it's very experimental. Where it's like Tool, it's just flat out amazing. Well, it's like it's like you put out your best of your shit. You know, right? like you put out the best of your shit. It's like when you're like a five star chef, you put out your main course, like the shit that you're like putting out in the world on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, mm-hmm. and then Monday through Thursday, sometimes you just fucking try new shit, like. Do you guys feel this will be the last Tool record we ever yes. get? You don't yes. think they'll ever put one together? I think if they ever put one together again, they'll be like 80 when yeah. it comes out. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think they're doing this. I think they're doing this because they've been talking about it for long enough, and they're like, let's just do this one. It'll be our coup de grace. Right. You know, and, and, and I do think it's going to be a good record. I don't think it's going to supply us with any hits like the other records because they've even said, they've even come right out and said, they're like, look, we're not going to be making any radio friendly songs. These are all going to be like seven minute songs. Well, now, granted, the radio will uh, still play them. No, no, we'll still play it. Yeah. Radio will still play it, but it won't be. I don't think we're like, remember when you heard Sober for the first time? You were like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, I don't think. They, I don't think you could do that in, the, in today's day and age. Just with the, just with the attention span of the people, they, these I days? think that when an album takes this long, it's either a sign that the band's not getting along or that they're all crazy perfectionist, good artists, right? So that means that like this is like a, a, a labor of love, super labor intensive for them, or they're not getting along. Either way, that's not that doesn't bode well for another album. See, I think this. they're getting along. I, I think they're getting along too. I think that business aspect of bands like Tool, the business aspects of bands like Guns and Roses, the business aspect of a band like System of a Down, where they can make they're living just touring that they have to have a passion to put something up because it has, it has some high, high, high expectations. Those bands I just mentioned have high expectations. So for them to kind of just go in and make a record when it doesn't really matter for their back end, especially if you, especially in this if you, music market, it doesn't matter if you fuck up the release, if it's a bad album or it's, it's not critically received well or by your fans, then that could fuck up your tour sales. But look at guns and roses. I mean, I thought Chinese democracy was really good, but in all essence, it was a failure. Right. You know, but I mean, did it hurt Guns N' Roses? No, no. But That's my, a good point. You're, I mean, you're right. But I think the thing is, too, is when you're talking about creating music, I think when you reach a certain age, it just becomes a little bit, you either fall into the same old, you know, routine that you always use to make music. And then eventually the creativity just, you, you stop pushing yourself. Yeah. You know, so, and I well, think there's limits. I, that's what I'm saying. And I think when you're a perfectionist, like to every member of tool, yeah. I just think that when you, when you're, when you're constantly, when you know what you're capable of and you, and you write something down and then all of a sudden you, t- you listen to it, you're like, ah, that's been done before. I don't like, I don't know if I'm happy with it. It's not blowing your mind. And yeah. I just think, I just think that when you're, when you reach a certain age and when you are that successful, like a band like tool, when you are, when you're not just a band, you, you, you put an R in there and you, now you're a brand. I agree. And I agree. And like I said, there's a lot of artists that would put out records quite frequently. Let's just go into our next story. We're going to talk about Ozzy Osbourne. He got hospitalized again with the severe flu, but like he put out many, 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 many records. I enjoyed, I would say the majority of them by far, 
But in essence, that was just for the fans. Or that was his work ethic growing up. Like he was like, no, you got to put out music for the fans. You got to give them something before you tour. But those songs and those records that he put out, let's just say 10 of his records, they never had any, any time in the sun on the live stage. So it's, it's kind of a, a musician take on things. And I think how, what generation they grew up from. But he was hospitalized again uh, during his No More Tours 2 tour, this time in the UK. So they canceled four shows and then they had to postpone the entire UK Euro- European tours for now. Ozzy is 70, so it's getting tougher and tougher. I mean, he is a road warrior for that age and considering his lifestyle for a lot of years. You know, like I remember when Lemmy was on his kind of last ways, and Ozzy's not at that point and anything like that, but Lemmy would not quit or take a break or anything like that, and it got to the point, obviously, where... Well, I think what happens is, is you, you hit a certain age, and this is, this is why you're here. And when you're Ozzy Osbourne and the rush you get from performing, I don't think he ever, ever, ever wants to be away from that. He always wants to have that within reaching distance, you know. I and even and it's and it's kind of fucked up because you know they'll put him out there for like a half hour and then he takes a break and then he comes back out and sings another ten minutes and then the show's done. You know they'll have like a fifteen minute drum solo or a fifteen minute guitar solo just so Ozzy could grab a, a breath and then he comes out and he'll do he'll do paranoid and then close out the show. I mean it's like. Yeah, I mean, but every time I've seen him, he's done 90-minute sets, but he's taking the break. But he's taking the break. That's he's what I'm saying. Yeah, he yeah, comes yeah. out and he'll do like 20 minutes, and then he takes a break, and then he comes back out at the you end. You got the Zach Wilde solo. Yeah. You got the drum solo. You got things like that where he takes a break, which is fa- fine. I mean, I can watch Zach Wilde solo. Which is day. fine. I'm just, saying, <laughs> right? I'm just saying, though, it's like before, I think there was a misconception of like, you know, Sharon's just pushing him out there to make money. And I'm like, no, dude, I guarantee you that's Ozzy. That's like, give me a stage. Tell me where to go. It's all he knows. Yeah, it's all he knows. And it's, the, and it's still the one thing that makes him feel alive yeah i mean you've seen it i mean I, i've seen videos where it's like he's backstage you know and he's shuffling shuffling, <laughs> shuffling and then all of a sudden he, you know you know those things where they write rise him from the bottom or yeah. whatever he's like shuffling 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 and then he rises and all of a sudden boom i mean he shoots out of that thing and he's jumping around it's like it's amazing to see it's amazing to see agreed yeah but his health is getting in in the way and all that stuff so Hopefully he gets better. Uh, Jack did update everybody saying he is getting better, but this was the. How do you think time? the world will react? Like you know, remember when Prince died? Like how do you think the it's going to be the same? You think it'll be like that kind of a reaction? Because I think Ozzy, what Ozzy means to music, I mean, it's. I fear it every year, yeah. dude. I, I, I'll tell you right now. We they always talk about who's the new headliners in rock and metal. Like when Ozzy or Halford and all those guys go, and it's like, man, it, it's it's too close that I don't even think about it. Like these guys. 10 years is not a long time, Mm-mm. you know? But anyways, I don't want... Don't do not do that. Why'd you bring it down, yeah, son? Why are you, why, why you bring it What do we do? Because I wanted to see what you guys put... I wanted Thanks to see for- who... Well, I want to see where you had him. Thanks where for, was Ozzy on your Mount Olympus? Is he for Zeus? pissing in our tea party. Is he Zeus? Sally. Is he Apollo? Huh? <laughs> He's up there, though. He is. All right, so next story. And now I want everybody to know that a lot of times on this show, I'm going to give a, a trade secret for you guys. We all agree on the same thing, and then someone has to play devil's advocate, and one of us look like assholes. Okay. Like, that happens almost every single time. So, um, one of us is going to be the devil's advocate okay. in the next story. So, go ahead. So, Aaron Lewis... Not it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. has <laughs> got it. All right, <laughs> I'm, I'm so good at this. <laughs> I think you're the worst at it. I, I agree. You are the worst <laughs> The worst at devil at devil's advocate? You are the best at it. Yeah, yeah. I think Pete you're the, the worst because you, uh, you always say, like, uh, something to prove our point right, yeah. but in a way you felt it proved okay, their point. Okay, go ahead. But let's go. Aaron go Lewis... Formerly abstained, he's been a country singer for a long time. He ended a Texas. Tell you what, 
Tell you what. Tell you what. I'm Heron Lewis, son of a bitch. Or I, I'm ugly. Oh, my God. You're ugly on the inside. I already regret making you the devil's advocate yeah. in this story. But yeah. finish your story. He said to the crowd what he wanted to do. He performed a show. He wanted to silence the entire audience, okay, and play acoustically, kind of have a special moment with the crowd where they're all listening to him and have them quiet. Well, the crowd was... Visibly drunk, they were all having a good time. Probably a bunch of liberals. It was a a highly ninety-five percent Hispanic crowd in Texas, and so what he said is, "I don't know how to speak Spanish. I'm American." After someone in the crowd said, "Tell us, tell him to be quiet in Spanish," and then he abruptly ended the show and left. Now, at an acoustic show, I understand that it might be damn near impossible to silence a crowd, but. As an artist, how important is it for you not to lose your cool in front of your audience well, in Pete, this situation? Well, Pete, let me tell you something, all right? All right. You ever been up on stage, right? You this see, is not what Aaron Lewis sounds The worst like. at the devil's you advocate. See, yeah. You see a bunch of... <laughs> the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so you take Aaron Lewis aside. This dude just reminds me of like the guy that like had like Jägermeister bottles on top of his entertainment center. You know, as an adult, like yeah. he's just not like a, he doesn't. He's like a garbage human. Like, why do I care about what he thinks? <laughs> a garbage like, human. Like, I don't know if I'll go as far as calling. Yeah, him whoa, garbage. settle down. Josh. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. Look, he's, like, not, he's not Gigi Allen. He's a recyclable human. <laughs> okay, that's ex- yeah, exactly. You know, he's green plastic. I just don't. I don't know. I mean, I think it's fucked up. I don't think you. I don't think that. I think that that sentence is full of ignorance. Obviously, he's he's either pandering to what he thinks is his new demographic or he's just like a hateful ignorant person i don't know and how you can't be racist while you play an acoustic guitar that's not allowed it doesn't mm. go together uh i'm sure unless you have a banjo then it's fine yeah, I, I mean i've heard i've heard <laughs> like, like david allen co you know what i mean like dude yeah no, there's got, some outlaw country that's definitely got some yeah. race issues okay with that's it. fair that's so, fair but here, here's the thing is that your, your crowd is is your bread and butter they're going to buy your shirts. They're going to buy your thing. They're going to support you. So, and and so your crowd's going to be unruly and dickish because in rock and metal, uh, unfortunately, like people are drunk. Yeah, like stupid drunk. Like we had a babysitter the first time we're going out for two months. We're going to go see her in Lewis, and then you have to silence them. I think you have to know your audience a little bit better. If you're Aaron Lewis, you know, you've been doing it long enough. And if you don't have any joy in there, like if somebody's like, hey, tell them to, set, uh, tell them to be quiet in Spanish. And you're like, really? Okay, how do I say that? You could at least mess with the audience. I don't you don't, spe- yeah, you, I you don't, don't speak just sit Spanish, there and be like, American. Yeah, yeah, I don't speak your un-American garbage. Like, 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 dude, are you? St- that, that's just not a smart thing hey, to asshole, say. Tons of Americans speak Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it was just... Bad just not taste, a good look. But, no. I mean, will it hurt okay, him? Okay, but it's been a while. It was also not a good look. So, I mean, right, yeah. we're, we're all jump. in a place. From the jump. <laughs> From the jump. I was like, it's been a while. And I, it's been, How are you going to uh, have a rock music video with a album candles? This yeah. is a big candle budget uh, for yeah, a rock I, music video. I'm just video. saying, when I hear Aaron Lewis go, it's been a while, and I'm like, it hasn't been long enough. Uh, let's let's it make it longer. It could be a longer. lot longer. I'm, I'm happy with it being it has never been. <laughs> Since we're in hate mode, who's going to play devil's advocate here? We're talking about the Maroon Fine halftime show. I will. You, oh, Jocelyn's got this one. I knocked, okay. my, I knocked my water off. You, you son of a bitch. <laughs> right. You make fun of my California tattoo on my tum-tum. I got so excited I knocked my water okay. over. Okay, so metal musicians reacted to the Maroon 5 uh, Super Bowl halftime show. Everybody seemed to hate everything about this year's Super Bowl, from the game being extremely boring to the halftime show. I did not watch the halftime show because I, I am one of those people that have mastered the art of 
not hit, watching dog shit? No, no, no. I, I hit yes. record an hour before the game, and then an hour without talking to anybody, I, I watch and fast forward through everything so I can just watch the game. So the game wasn't as boring to me as I think the rest it of the world. It was so boring. But uh, it was still really boring, right? <laughs> and we had a feast. It was great. But we, uh, So I fast forward through the whole halftime show. All I saw was fireworks really quickly. So I'm not going to comment on it. I thought it was great. I thought it was. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. I. I. I thought I loved seeing Big Boy. I know everyone was like, "Where's Andre?" or whatever. But like, there's. It was a cool. There was a lot of like. It's what you want out of a Super Bowl halftime show. It's like, oh look, all these people I, I didn't know they were going to be. I here. thought it was shit. On Do you top want me to keep that in here? Because you might get fired by Vincent. Yeah, Axel I, I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I it say, was, if yeah. they fire me for having opinions, then that's I, my life. Yeah, I, I thought. <laughs> I'm I thought, kidding. I thought, kidding. I thought it was shit on top of Dookie. It was just like, well, that's a sandwich. Yeah, it was just. Oh God, it was so dumb. It's it's a big giant television thing. They're gonna put the most popular music on there. People are like, "What? Yeah. What do you expect is gonna happen?" I, when you see the performers that they're using, I expect sheer dog shit. I, it's like I, you're probably gonna see something like visually, like, oh, well, that's kind of cool thing they do with the drones or whatever. But for the most part, though, I'm like, this is so bad. And can dumb. we? Can, is 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 it time for that discussion of retiring the Super Bowl halftime show? No, no, you gotta have it because, dude, it's still like. Here's the thing: it's good for what the are, casual fans. What are the fan. people in the stadium? <laughs> Do. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, you get to have like some dogs go out there and do some frisbee. Yeah. No, you continue a game like yeah. a normal game. Pete's going get the lady spinning some plates. No, the halftime halftime is is conducive to gameplay. The yeah. coach needs time to, to pull in. And, I'd and rather talk. see someone try to kick a football ten yards into the post and win ten thousand dollars. Oh, Pete wants it to be like a county basketball game. Yeah, exactly. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather see a, a cornhole competition. Yeah. Pete's like, I'd between, rather see between someone, players that are playing. I'd you rather know, see someone shoot a halftime bucket. Or half half court bucket. Pete would rather see Aaron Lewis play a racist acoustic show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's no, I didn't say that. Yeah. Then Maroon 5? Aaron Lewis goes then out Maroon there. Then Maroon 5. Yeah. I mean his tattoos were bad though. Would I you see ra- the picture. Dude, the tattoos are bad. bad, dude. I'm but, not going to defend the tattoos, I can't. Uh, no, that's like my deal is though is with him is it's like He's so rich. When like, did tattoos not become an art form? Guys like Aaron uh, Adam Levine and stuff like that it's like before getting a tattoo was like, you know, it meant you were rough or tough or kind of vicious and it's like now I'm like Oh my God, like that guy's got tons of tattoos and you don't look any of that. You know, like, I don't know, he looks okay to me. (laughs) I'm not saying he looks bad. Yeah. Man, I'm not saying I'm not saying like you know, yeah. dude. It doesn't matter. Like yeah, Adam Levine. Like dude, you could have a look. I'm just saying you could be handsome and have prison tats all over you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that that's that's a factor. But I just feel like those are some bad. I mean, we we can't even judge those tattoos. Those are horrible. Dude, Adam Levine could have a, t- a tattoo that says AIDS faucet and an arrow pointing to his dick, and Jocelyn will be like, mm, I'm listening. I would be like, how do I turn that faucet on, baby? Let's go. It's funny, I'm thirsty. I'm looking at the picture to make sure he doesn't have that tattoo. <laughs> Pete was like, I think I saw that I tattoo. Think, I swear to God. AIDS faucet? At, at but I, I must have mistaken California for AIDS faucet. <laughs> That's close. That's close. Pete, you're on fire today. You're on fire. <laughs> Take that, California. <laughs> Vegas! Stop taking over out here. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to pretend like I can defend the halftime show. All I can say is if you went into the halftime show expecting you to have your mind blown, where have you been the last 15 Super Bowls? Dude, it goes like oh, this. Oh, wait. It's there's all there's about, been a good one in the last 15. There's, been, there's a couple. been a couple. Dude, here's the thing. It's all, about, it's all about just the casual fan. So it's like you get, you get these musicians and these artists that have nothing, nothing, nothing to do with sports or dude shit in general. And it's like, and they just, that's the, that's the halftime show every single year. I like the phrase dude shit. <laughs> dude shit. <laughs> dude shit. Dude general. shit in general. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. 
Like if it were the great outdoor games. I love, okay. how, I love how we all put our little hats on and act like our opinions are valid and then we say shit like dude shit. In general. And, and, and then, AIDS faucets. Yeah, yeah. I'm going well, to tell you something. Dude shit or AIDS faucet just fucking propelled me to the top. All right, I'm a guys. voice, you guys. I'm a voice. I'm going to grade your both your devil devil's advocate performance. Brandon, D minus. Jocelyn, D plus. D plus? <laughs> D plus, what's up? Oh, <laughs> what are you talking about? You suck. You Come pretty much here. said Adam Levine's hot so he could do whatever he wants. Yeah. And, and you said... Is that not correct? Isn't that how the world works? <laughs> pretty, dude, she's got it, it does in California. <laughs> it does in California, man. I don't give a damn what kind of bullshit comes out of your mouth. Do you have abs? Do you have abs? <laughs> and with that, guys, let's get to our interview with Todd from Queensryche. Hey, everybody, what's going on? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks podcast on the phone. I got Todd from Queensryche. We are here to talk about the new album, The Verdict, which is out March 1st in the North American tour with Fate's Warning, which starts March 2nd and runs all the way to April 3rd. Now, before we get to the new record, you are going on tour with Fate's Warning, a great package tour with Queensryche. What is your favorite Fate's Warning record? Oh, it's got to be either No Exit or parallels you know older stuff i just it just i have such good memories listening to that stuff and you know even you know awaken the guardian that stuff's killer with john arch but you know no exit is is one of my favorites and and parallels is is such a good record i mean they have so many good things but if i had to pick pick one it would be one of those two theories in flight that last one they put out i think is is my favorite right now i can't i haven't stopped listening to it i think it came out in 2016 very similar to Condition yeah, Human. They're, they're by such the way. a they're such a good such a good band. Yeah, dude, and uh, yeah, like I was mentioning, Condition Human is to me. It's my I'm not gonna say it's the best, but it's my favorite Queens record. I listen to it more than anything else, and the verdict's supposed wow. to take that over right now. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> and it is yeah. your, and it is your second record with producer Chris Zeus Harris. Uh, he's a metal guy to us, you know, growing up. So yep. He tends to get the heaviness out of established bands. How was his role uh-huh. different on the new album, The Verdict, than previous record, Condition Human? I don't think his role was, was different. I think that, you know, he, we, we showed him the songs we had, and there were some songs that we were just really stuck on, you know, like, oh, we're, you know, this is really great, but it's incomplete, and where do we take it from here? So during pre-production, it's so vital, his input, because... We listen to all the songs and we instantly, you know, okay, this is a keeper, this is a keeper. And then here comes one and be like, eh, it's not really doing anything for me. Sorry, guys. And that's like almost what exactly he would say. And we would say, okay, put that in the, in the scrap pile, the alternate pile. We would have like three piles. We would have the definite pile. Then we would have a, this is good. I think if we rework some things, it could be a keeper. And then we have stuff that's definitely not a keeper. And we'll use that as like the parts pile. Like, oh, if we need a bridge or a pre-chorus or a certain rip, maybe maybe there's something out of these other songs we can pull from and make these better. And so that's kind of how we work. And so we did pre-production early. And then I think we had a good month to rework what we did in pre-production. Normally you do pre-production and kind of go right into recording. But I'm glad that we didn't. So that what we did differently this time than the last time is that we, we did pre-production. We had a good month or a little more to rework the stuff that we all decided to change during pre-production. That way, when it was time to hit record, we had a much better map, and we really knew what we were going to actually be recording 
with more confidence. There was less experimentation during the recording process because of that. And so, you know, and he understands the legacy of the band. He understands because he did Condition Human with us, he understands where's that balance between this is a classic Queensryche thing that you guys do without making it sound like you, you, you know, you regurgitated another song. So what are the elements that sound like Queens Rike? Yeah, this is something you guys typically do, but you know, we can't it needs to sound original and fresh at the same time. And that's really hard to try to achieve. Because some of those things are just those components are what create your sound. So he he's kinda like the sixth member of the band and he plays guitar. So he he's really good at, you know, hey, try this key change and he'll grab a guitar and and show us. So it's a lot easier to to work together with a producer that hears changes in his head, but maybe he were he could only articulate those ideas with his mouth, whereas he can pick up the instrument. And, you know, there were some times where he's like, hey, I recorded this idea in this song. Tell me what you think. And then the next day, maybe he stayed and worked later in studio that night, and we were stumped on something, and he actually recorded, you know, a guitar part and showed it to us. And we're like, oh, shit, that's really cool. That's so great that he has that ability. And, and the trust from you guys. Because the first record you did, um, you guys did use the producer that did Empire and Operation Mind Crime, yep. if I'm correct. So that was the first record yep. you did, the self-titled one. There is a difference between that sound and what I call the new era, which to me starts at Condition Human and as, a, as a fan. And then he's continuing yep. on with that. So do you feel that that's a fair assessment to start over with a new producer that's never been worked with the team and all that stuff that that is making you guys reinvigorated and kind of given the record the sense of urgency? Yeah, I mean, he's he's been around in it long enough that he understands some of the older techniques and some of the older things that uh, engineers or producers may do more so engineers, but he's worked with a lot of extreme bands. And so something I liked about that was, hey, if this guy can do albums from bands like Revocation, mm -hmm. where you've got extreme drumming, tuned down guitars, a lot of things happening, and, and it's easy to make a mix like that sound really dirty and muddy. This guy's getting exceptional results with a lot going on. Imagine what he could do with Queensryche, where, yes, we do have layered guitars and one side's doing one thing on the guitar and the other side's playing a different chord. And, but I'm sure that sonically he could make our stuff sound really pristine and, and how we want it represented. You know, we think that he certainly accomplished that. When we first worked with him, people were like, oh, why did you use this guy? He just uses a bunch of screamo singers and you know, he he really was wanting to, to work with a band like Queensryche or Sanctuary, where there are more singing things happening instead of gutturals or, you know, the really hardcore screaming stuff. He, he was really looking forward to a band that's doing a wall of harmony vocals and, and more singing style. So, you know, he, he loved doing that with us and, and Iced Earth, mm -hmm. you know, so he's worked with uh, Warl Thames, Stu Block, me... You know, even stuff with Rock Zombie, he, he, you know, did records for him. So his, his um, palette has, has grown considerably. And he's done a great job. We're, we've all become really good friends. And lastly, what I want to say about Zeus and any producer is when you're dealing with four or five or however many people's personalities, you really become kind of a camp counselor. You're, you know, you're, you're like a marriage counselor. If two people want one thing and two or three want the other, how does that decision get made? How do you articulate 
both side, both points of view respectfully among each other and, and render a decision that everyone's happy with and why. And he's really good at that. So, you know, being a people person and understanding how to manage those personalities in a productive way, I think is a, is a very vital part of, of what a producer has to deal with that some people may not realize. And, and he's very good at that. The last two records that you were on, we're talking about the self-titled and Condition Human. And now the verdict, which is coming out once again, everybody, March 1st. They're getting embraced by fans. We're loving them. But the group is so established and has such a deep catalog that playing a lot of newer material is harder. Is there any tracks off the self-titled or Conditioned Human you wish you got to play live more? Yeah, but that's changing. For, for this album, for, for this set list that we put together, uh, we're actually going to be playing a considerable amount of material uh, from my time in the band. So people, you know, a, a lot of people just want to hear the classics. But then you have a pretty significant number of people that have uh, voiced their wanting to hear the new stuff. So we're like, okay, you know, let's let's do a nice, healthy split of the era, the albums that I was a part of. And then with the verdict, let's 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 play four or five songs off of that. Mm. And we'll have a couple new ones in rotation that we can do for the new one. And then let's play it. We're going to play a couple off a of conditioned human that have never been played. Um, and then I think another one off of 2013 that have never been played. And then we'll have some deep cuts. Uh, one of them I've never played with the band before. And then you'll have, you know, your classics, eyes of a stranger empire, jet city woman, those kind of things. So hopefully this tour will pacify the crowd that wants the new stuff, the crowd that wants the old stuff. The, the hard part about, about playing the new stuff is people haven't learned it yet. They don't know it yet. So you don't get that sing-along thing happening in the crowd. You don't get quite, quite the reaction as when you're playing a song that like, you know, everybody knows. But we're just going to keep doing it, and, and, and they're going to have to learn the new stuff to really get the most out of our live show because almost half of it's going to be stuff from my era nice dude hey that's the answer i want to hear and my buddy dennis wants to hear we're out here in las vegas and so you guys come through all the time and we get to see you guys all the time we're that's the one thing i'm like man i just want like five or six songs off condition human but we understand that that's not yeah the way to like that's the whole thing i'm like i understand i do that's the record that's spinning in my car and at this point i think people will know the 2013 and condition human you know but i want to yeah totally I've always said this on the show, and everybody can, you know, they'll quote me on this, is that when I hear the new songs live and then I go back and listen to the record, that's when I know them. You know what I'm saying? Because you get that right, like, personality right. from you. are like, oh, I listened to these nonstop on the record, but the second I saw that live, now yep. I love it. So yeah. it's uh, right. Yes. So I love it. It's a process for the fans. That's the thing. People always want it now, now, now. It's like, nah, go through the process. Take the journey. That's what music, yeah. music and art has always been, man. I do want to talk about a specific track on the new album. The first track on the new album of The okay. Verdict is called Blood of the Levant. Lyrically, the song is about the Syrian conflict. How were you inspired to pen those lyrics? I remember watching a documentary called Prize for Syria, and it was heart-wrenching. And it, to it tells the story of these kids that spray-painted on a wall, your next doctor. And they were referring to Assad when he came into power. He was an ophthalmologist before he became the, the leader. 
And so they spray painted this wall. Well, they, they caught the kids that did it. And they pulled their fingernails out and they electrocuted them and they beat the shit out of them. And some of them died. Well, the people protested and it was peaceful protesting. Okay. Just like what happened in, in Egypt. Um, but it was peaceful protesting. And at some point the government fires back on its own people. And that's where you get the, now you've got a real war that's starting and people that were doctors and lawyers and regular professional working people become part of the resistance in the army. And you have the free Syrian army that's formed and, and they were protesting against their own government. They are the, they are the rebels. They're not the bad guys. That's their own people are getting bombed. And so that song is really talking about, you know, and, and there's one reference in the song where it says, uh, verse two says, shelling the cowards, let it rain from a tag on the wall. The violent coloration on the faces of the youth enraged them all lives, beating lives. We are the rebels. And so that's like this powerful chant thing of, it just, that's how I was inspired was this documentary and watching other documentaries. I, I, I'm a documentary freak. I love learning and seeing all sides of issues that are happening globally, not just, you know, the, the craziness that's happening here. And I was really inspired by that story and, and that documentary and, and what's really going on. In fact, today, like hours ago, there was another suicide bomber that killed some American soldiers and ISIS is claiming the, claiming the event, you know, after Trump already said ISIS has been defeated and Pence said this morning that, you know, the caliphate has crumbled, but that's not true. And so these are issues that are sensitive. There are social injustices that's, that are happening in the world. And, you know, the record touches on these issues. Do you feel that people accept lies or want lies more these days? I think people gravitate to their biases, and you see that firsthand here. People don't even believe their own eyes and ears anymore. There's a lot of gaslighting. You know, it's, it's this whole fake news. It's like, really? This is actually true. This is actually what was said. This is not fake news, but people that are on one side will never accept the truth. They think it's a conspiracy. They think it's, a, you know, like the witch hunt thing that you hear about. You think, And then the other side thinks, the total opposite. So you have extreme polarization. You have the same thing happening in Europe, in Germany. There's a lot of, a lot of craziness happening politically. And we're not, we're not telling anybody what to think. We're just wanting them to think. And if we can get them to scratch their head or be like, hmm, what's that about? I didn't know about that. Maybe they'll go watch the documentary and maybe they'll become educated in a, in a, about a situation that they, they really didn't know about. I mean, what do they know about? I mean, look at, our president didn't even know where Aleppo was on a map, but we're apparently pulling troops out of Syria. He didn't even know where Aleppo was. I mean, that's crazy. So people should become informed. We're a global community. It's not just us over here. And then there's some water that separates us. There's, we're all interconnected in, in a lot of ways, and this stuff matters. And in true Queensryche fashion, you know, we talk about things that are that are socially, you know, we're very socially aware. We try to be, you know, of these things that are happening in the world. And we're just one little voice that's talking about something. And I, and I love that about Queensryche lyrically and, and the record that you're talking about, because the lyrics are open to interpretation, but I feel like you tell them in an abstract way where they're open to interpretation. Yeah. But the meaning is very 
straightforward. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, you always want to leave some room for interpretation. But, you know, uh, the, the, the blood of the Levant is a little more, is a little more um, to the point, mm-hmm. kind of. But there's still, we're not saying this is the war, you know, this is about Syria. But we even have a friend speaking Arabic in the song, a little bit of the song. It says, you know, we, we're not the enemy. We want peace in, in real Arabic. And so there's, there's, you got to read between the lines, you know. Don't want to always be so direct, but when you're trying to talk about something, you don't want it so vague that you're not really, you don't know that you're talking about it. it it's a kind of a fine line. It's, it's a weird gray area to be in. Now with documentaries, like you were talking about, you're a big fan. I find them to be more and more influential and biased than I recall back in the day. So there's a lot of them that I'm, I'm watching now, and I wonder if the research was really to show both sides. Because I come from that school of like Errol Morris documentaries where he kind of lets the subject talk but doesn't give his opinion. Now I feel the opinion's a, right. a centerpiece to a lot of documentaries. Have you noticed that as well or no? Um, yeah, in some way, yeah. I mean... Everything is so, you know, people are hypersensitive these days, mm. and you have to be careful how you say something. But at the same time, you know, we're artists and we're just people, and we have something to say. And so we, you know, everyone's going to get something different from from how they listen to it, you know. Now, the artwork does have the scales of justice on the Queensryche logo, and then there's a ominous figure behind it. And obviously the record's yep. called The Verdict. So what, what, what did you want this artwork to show people when they got the physical copy before they put the record in? Okay, so the original concept in a nutshell was as some ideas we were brainstorming as a band. And we had like this kind of Grim Reaper guy holding the scale thing. And we thought, well, think about, think about the Excalibur sword into the rock. So what if we had like this really turbulent, chaotic scene with water going crazy in the sky like shit's about to get real something's going to happen and then what if we have this kind of like earth's blood kind of like a lava type thing instead of running down going up and energizing this this stone tririte that's a scale of justice and instead of being like good and bad it could be bad and worse and here's this guy this figure that could represent like morality our morality and how how would the how would the universe what what verdict would be rendered if the universe decided hu- human behavior has played in in the world you know like for every action there's a reaction what is what is our place and how are we conducting ourselves because there's a lot of turbulent things going on surely there's a better way to get along as people around the world and so that kind of became kind of the concept what here's this guy that is like kind of the medium for this verdict to be rendered. And, and then, you know, on the back, you have serenity and calm and peace where the water's flat and all you see are the two bulls floating in the water. And I always use the analogy of like a big football game or sporting event where it's tight score. A team is about to win. You don't know who. Everybody's going crazy in the stands. And then, boom. You, come, you don't know who won. You come back and there's all this confetti on the ground and it's quiet. But you see the aftermath of, of that chaos. And what, is that, what does that feel like? What does that mean? Is, what does it represent? So the back of the cover is it's a yin and yang. 
you have chaos on the front and peace and tranquility on the back. Like it's over and you don't know what the verdict is. You have to figure that out for yourself. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> I lo- dude, yeah, I, cool. I, I love, like I said, I'm still a physical copy buyer. I love when I can spend my time with the artwork and put it all together. So that, that is super cool, man. Because the, there's a common thread in this, in this record about political things. And it's not like a whole political record. So I don't want people to think that it's a po- the record is all politics. It's not. There's personal relationship stuff in there, but social issues are intertwined with politics, with policies, with laws. If there's social injustices, maybe politics is the reason why. Maybe laws are passed that infringe on people's rights. Maybe laws need to change. These social injustices kind of work hand-in-hand with politics or with the political debate that's happening. And, um, and that's why, you know, when it came time for this artwork, I think Michael was the one who came up with this Grim Reaper guy. Oh, I like this Grim Reaper guy. And then we were thinking, okay, well, how can, how would this tie in? If we use this guy, how would this actually make sense to the record? And what would it be? And I think the best example would just be, he is just a metaphor for, for our morality because things that we deem as moral, other cultures deem as immoral. We have, you know, we can speak against religion, and we're not going to be apostates aren't killed in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, gay, you know, the the gay community they're not they're not whipped and hung from cranes or over a wall like they are in Saudi Arabia. We we don't do genital mutilation, but they you know other countries do. We don't do scar. We would never take a razor and scar a baby's face. But there are tribes in the world where scarification is a rite of passage or it's a beautification in their culture. So a lot of it is subjective, depending on where you're from and why. Where are these ideals rooted? What are they rooted in? Is it religion? Is it, what is it? And so, you know, the verdict is pretty much like, how do you see, how do you deem our behavior ethically in the world? And why? And and what are those differences? And again, it was more like, how would the universe render, what would the verdict be? about humans' behavior, and, like, haven't we learned anything? Like, we're still fighting and killing over religion, and it's just so stupid and senseless. I completely agree. And the and what the similarity, though, is that we're human, and emotions and feelings yeah. and all those things, no matter what religion or place you come from, we're all going to feel the same. We're all going to understand the same. We'll understand pain and we'll understand yep. joy. Whether you're scarring you know, someone in a tribe to make them beautiful or you're in a country that's full of free speech that uses it for hate, you know? It's, it's, yeah. it's how do you unify that similarity to so many when people uh-huh. don't want to listen to the other side? That's the, uh, that's the crazy part. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Consequences <laughs> always happen from actions when you don't listen, and then you listen. But the fact is we're trying to skip that consequence part before the action, you know? Anyways. Bingo. Sorry. We yeah, got, I we, would agree. We got a little, we got a little sidetracked there for a second. <laughs> but um, I did okay. want to bring up the drums, man, on the record. I know that you did the drums on the record. Were the songs written with you behind the kit as well? When I joined the band and we were working on the first record, you know, Scott was writing songs and Michael was writing songs, Eddie and Parker. And uh, while Scott was working on something, uh, Parker, for example, you know, gave me the song where dreams go to die. Hey dude, you know, can you do the drums to this and start, you know, here's my lyrics and, you know, let's see what you could do. I said, okay. So I said to Scott, Hey, you know, I'm doing drums for some of these songs for the guys. Is that cool? Cause I don't want to step on your toes. And he said, no, that's totally fine. You know, I know that you, 
know what you're doing and whatever helps move the songs forward and shapes them. I said, okay, cool. Thanks. And, uh, you know, so when it came time to do that record, some stuff that I wrote on drums stayed on the record. Some stuff didn't. Scott has his own unique thing. And, you know, Scott played the record, make no mistake. But for the last two records, you know, I was very involved in writing drum parts for the demos and helping shape the songs. And I, I custom, I, you know, I actually, you know, play the parts. I don't just grab a loop and let it play the same thing the whole way through. I actually put fills in and breaks and alter the, you know, make the beats and everything. And I have an electric kit, so it's super easy to play exactly what I want um, through Pro Tools. And I use Superior Drummer as a, as, you know, I use the drums as a controller and I use Superior Drummer sounds for the demos. Um, that way I can record it two in the morning at, at my place and it, nobody cares. Um, but um, so when it came time for this record, you know, he, he took paternity leave and had a baby and we supported that. And then many months turned into many more months and Hey, when are you going to come back? And you know, we've got some touring coming up and we never got confirmation or anything of his return. And that kind of, that's where we called Casey Grillo and said, Hey, can you help us out? We're in a jam. We need a fill in drummer for some shows. Okay. So he was able to help out and then 2018 rolled around and we said, are you going to come back and play? And, we never got any real answer. And so that was kind of an answer by not saying yes. So we continued with Casey and meanwhile, we're, you know, we're right starting to write this album. So everybody's sending me all their songs and I'm working on the drums. And, and then uh, when it came time to record, there was no commitment for him to be a part of any of that. So uh, when it came about, it was about a month before we were going to record we said, man, if he's not going to play on it, we need to figure something out here because we all planned on him playing and wanted him to play on it. But for whatever reason, he he declined. And, um, you know, he did give the band his endorsement to record without him. Uh, we didn't know who was going to play. And I said to the guys, listen, I'm a drummer, you know, 30 plus years. I'm, I'm very capable to do everything that was on the demos. I mean, I did it anyway. And, but now I need to get in and, and really kind of, you know, refine some things like on the, like at the last minute, if this is actually going on the record, because I'm not going to spend, you know, a million years on, on a demo when I know that Scott's probably going to go in and, and, you know, play it his way. Even if he plays some stuff that I wrote, he's still going to play the, you know, a lot of stuff with his own flavor. Um, so when it came time to record, I said, let's get a kit and I'll show you guys exactly what I can do. And, uh, the producer Zeus was, was very impressed. And the band felt like, man, this, he's nailing it. This is, this is great. And it just seemed logical. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm friends with Scott, I toured with him for five years. I did two records with him. I'm very familiar and very aware of some of the things that he does a lot of the things that he does. So I recorded the drums and, uh, you know, I decided to, to show more reservations and to overplay. There's a lot of things I would have done more, but I didn't want to, you know, try to show off more drumming and do things just because I knew that everyone would hear it. And what would they think of my drumming? So I need to show it all, show it all. Um, I wanted to just write drum parts that make sense for the songs play fills that are appropriate, show the dynamics and with some hi-hat work 
and um, you know some of the symbol work that Scott would do, the double china, the alternating between the ride and the hi hat, and you know certain things that are just very unique to the sound of Queensrÿche on the drums and. You know, some things I did that I know he would never play, but that was just me having a little fun with uh, a few things. But otherwise, I really tried to maintain the integrity of what I think sounds appropriate for Queensryche. Um, and I wanted to create memorable parts that people can learn. I didn't want to make it complicated. I didn't want to over, I didn't want to play a drum fill every time there's a space to fill it with drums. I thought that too many people are overplaying these days. And uh, some of my favorite songs don't have a lot of overplaying. I mean, Empire, Mindcrime, those are very deliberate uh, drum parts. And everything on this record that was played was done with a purpose. And until you peel the layers back to the songs and, and see where the kick drum was placed in relation to the vocal, in relation to the guitar riff, only then would you really understand and probably appreciate the placement of where the drum parts are the way they are, you know, where they went and why. So I'm sure I'll catch, you know, a lot of criticism <laughs> for what I did, but I'll also hopefully catch some, some promising positive words for what I did. And all I can say is, you know, I did double duty on the record and I, no one can fault me for, for putting in the hard work and showing up. Ex you know. Exactly. You guys are in a tough situation, you know, and us fans, we, we want Scott, you know, back and all those things. But sure, if, so do we. Exactly. No, I have no doubt about it. And it's a tough spot, man. Like, nobody knows what to say on that. I mean, you guys fear at this point that he may not return to the band? Yeah, I mean, he may not, he may not come back. Yeah. I don't know, because I don't talk to him. Gotcha. And the momentum you guys got going right now, you can't stop. Like you shouldn't stop at all. No way. For no reason. And, and you so. know, some people, some people, you know, feel, oh, they're only down to two members right now. Well, so what? We wish that Scott would have come back, you know, earlier. But Allison Chains has two members. Except uh, has one member. Uh, Judas Priest has two members. Um, there's a lot of bands that are kicking ass. I mean, Fate's Warning has one member. You know, there's there's a lot of bands still putting out really great music that are kicking ass and. You know, it's it's not about one person. It's not about me, not about Michael or Scott or anybody else. It's about the collective. Absolutely. I think that this record shows that the strength lies in all of us participating and, and showing, you know, pulling all of our creative elements to share with each other. And if people say, well, what is Queensryche going to sound like without Scott? You know, the verdict is exactly what Queensryche sounds like without without his participation at all. However... Scott is a great songwriter. He's a cool guy. He's a great drummer. He, he has a lot of great ideas. That being said, this, this record, in my opinion, is better than, their, than some records that had the entire original lineup in the band. This is, a, this is a way better record than, in my opinion, than Mind Crime 2 or Dedicated to Chaos that had outside writers. So... I think that there's a little too much emphasis placed on having this all, all original thing. I mean, yeah, we still have two very important, crucial, original founding members of this band playing in Queensryche. You know, the music will speak for itself. And yes. if people give the music a chance without their biases, I think that they'll be happy. If, like I say, if you didn't know that Scott didn't play on the record and he said that he played on it, people would hear those drums totally different. They would say, man, this, this kicks ass. They would never question 
because they know it's Scott. They would never question it. No, you're right, dude. And like you just said, Firepower by Judas Priest last year made all kinds of year-end lists. When the music is great, totally, that's that record's killer. Exactly. When the music is when the music speaks for itself, then the critics are silenced. And usually, those that are talking don't even give the record a chance. It just sucks because they're loud. But dude, yep. ignore the loud, the silent majority. We all know. So, man, Todd, it was a great talk yeah. with you, dude. I truly, truly you am too, excited man. to see you guys uh, next time you come through Vegas. You're not coming through on the Fates Warning Tour, but I'm not worried. You'll come through. I know you guys. I yeah, to- you'll get to hear some new stuff for sure. Super excited, dude, for sure. So, I want to remind everybody: if you guys haven't yet pre-order your copy. March 1st, the new record by Queensryche. The verdict is coming out, guys. I'm telling you, it's a must-own. Make sure you check it out for sure. And with that, dude, Todd, thank you so much, dude, for calling into the Metal Sucks. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and on behalf of everyone in the band, you know, thank you so much for the, for the continued support and for the, the interest in what we're doing. We're just going to keep kicking ass and touring and, and writing more, more songs and putting out more records. This isn't the last, so... We're we're excited for everyone to hear the new album, and we hope they like it. And before we get to the songs, I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the promo code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
the Metal Sucks Podcast. Go 
And we are back, guys. First song you heard is off the new record by Queensryche, The Verdict, which is coming out March 1st. That song is called Man the Machine. Second song, also by Queensryche, and that one is called Dark Reverie. Make sure you guys pre-order and check this record out. Next song you guys heard is from a newer band. You know how we like to do some new bands on this show. That is from a band called Hiss from the Moat. The song is called God Nefasto, and their new album, The Harrier, is out February 22nd. So if you're into that blackened death metal, guys, make sure you check them out. And with that, guys, um, I want to thank everybody again for all these five-star reviews on iTunes. Every time we check, we get a new one. Every time we do a, a black metal artist interview, we get a one-star review. We like them both. <laughs> Shout, we like them both. <laughs> shout out to all the uh, people following me on Twitter with two followers that says hashtag metal lover in their profile. Thank you. Thank you. Know. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, no, it's been great. You guys. And, uh, we, we, I want to give a big shout out to, to we have a, I don't know if you guys knew this, we have a, a lot of fans uh, in our sister state of AIDS Fawcett. And <laughs> I just want to say thank you for your undying support. <laughs> To metal songs, we we will we will stop the jokes on California. No, we won't. Maybe 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 we'll make a bit next it's week. It's the funniest fucking state <laughs> out of all of them. Florida. Oh yeah. Okay, oh, Florida, yeah. Florida is the funniest is, oh, state. Right. Man, you got don't, don't take Florida thunder. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm Florida like, Florida wins. Yeah, I'm meth faucet is Florida. <laughs> 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 that faucet sounds like trouble. <laughs> the Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.